the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and caller. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and here we are celebrating National Epilepsy Month. And as you all know, all of my listeners, and by the way, you are awesome. Oh, I have such great listeners, and I appreciate how you have followed this show for years now. But you know, this is very, very personal to me because I am a woman with epilepsy, so to me, a great chance for us throughout this month to educate all of you about epilepsy. And let me tell you, you are in for a treat. You are, because we have today a real champion on the show and someone I think so very highly of. Dr. Brian Smith is the medical director of the Comprehensive Epilepsy Program at the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. In addition, he is on the National Board of Directors for the Epilepsy Foundation. And in addition, he is a champion and advocate for all of us with epilepsy. I'm so proud to have him on the show. Dr. Smith, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Joyce. Nice to be here with you. I really appreciate the invitation. Well, it is an honor to have you with us. And I thought maybe what we could do first is maybe you could first talk to our listeners throughout the world about what epilepsy actually is because really, as we know very well, there are many people that don't understand what epilepsy is. So could you talk about that for a minute? Sure, Joyce. Well, epilepsy is a neurological disorder which is characterized um, by someone having recurrent seizures. Uh, We don't call it epilepsy when there's only been one seizure, and we don't call it epilepsy when someone even has a couple seizures and it's related to something that we can easily fix, like there's a problem with their sugar, their glucose, um, or there's a medication that they're having and uh, a bad response to. Those are things that can be fixed and wouldn't be called epilepsy. Epilepsy, though, is when you do have these recurrent seizures or short circuits of the brain that in many cases we can identify why it's occurring, but there are times where we can't, but it is related to this electrical short circuit of the brain recurring. Well, um, I always tell people it's like a storm going off in your head, and it is because of this electrical surge you were talking about, but there are many different types of seizures. Is that correct, Dr. Smith? That's correct. Could you just talk a little bit about the different types? Because I know everyone thinks of one thing, tonic-clonic seizure, which is the correct name if you're listening to the show, correct name, tonic-clonic, not grand mal, but that's what everyone thinks of. I thought maybe you could even tell them a little bit about the different types of seizures. Yeah, well, most of us, and there are a lot of people who still use the term grand mal and petite mal. Those are the old terms uh, for some very common seizures, but they are old terms. And a lot of the terms that we use now are based on where that electrical short circuit starts and how much it spreads and how it alters how someone can function. Um, So two big divisions when we talk about seizures are seizures that are either short-circuiting the brain in one specific area 
or the type of seizures that the whole brain short circuits at once. So to give you an example, when we talk about one specific area of the brain, we talk about partial seizures or focal seizures. And some common examples, a lot of seizures can come from a part of the brain called the temporal lobe. And if someone just starts to have a seizure in a very small area, they may get a funny feeling, for example, even in their stomach, a rising sensation, a feeling of deja vu, a feeling of fear or anxiety. And it may stop just at that. It may only last five five to ten seconds. And that's called a simple partial seizure because it comes from one area of the brain and it doesn't really spread to cause an alteration in consciousness or an alteration in function. If it passes further from that, so it starts in that same small region but then spreads to the other side of the brain, you can have someone who then can't necessarily communicate like they they usually can. They may have loss of memory because now that short circuit has jumped from one side of the brain to the other and they will have an alteration in their function and in their ability to remember what occurred. And those are those are called complex partial seizures. They're still partial, but now they've spread enough where they're considered complex because they've altered function and level of consciousness. The final form, again, can start as that funny feeling um, just in one specific area of the brain, but now if it spreads throughout the whole brain, it looks like a generalized tonic-clonic or grand mal seizure. And it actually started in one specific area but spread throughout the whole brain and now gives the impression of a generalized seizure. And that the, all three of those seizure types can occur in one person who has what we call partial epilepsy, seizures coming one, from one specific area of the brain, but there's been variable spread of that when a seizure occurs. On the other hand, there are forms of epilepsy where people have generalized seizures where they don't get a warning because the whole brain is short-circuiting at once. And that can include, for example, the generalized tonic-clonic or grand mal seizure, and similar to what I just described, but instead of this starting in one area and spreading to the whole brain, the whole brain short circuits all at once. There is no initial focal point that it starts at. Also under generalized epilepsy, you would have seizures like, um, a lot of you have heard the term petite mal seizure. Well, that's what we call an absence seizure these days, where all of a sudden it looks like someone just shut the lights off real quickly for three or four seconds, and then the person's completely back to normal. They didn't seem to fall or have any jerking. They may just have paused in what they were saying or missed, uh, you know, a part of that commercial when they were watching TV. Uh, one other form of common generalized seizure can be someone who just has a very brief jerk of an arm or the full body, and when we look at their brainwave patterns on EEG, we see this kind of generalized spike and wave. These are the kind of features we look for in an EEG. And again, there's been a brief short circuit of the whole brain. So those are some of the common seizure types, and a lot depends on is that short circuit in the brain in one specific area or involving the whole brain at once. And, you know, if you're listening to the show, I hope that, of course, you're probably saying, wow, you didn't know there were this many different types of seizures. And, the, and there are. There are all different types of seizures, and I think that is important for you to understand. For example, Dr. Smith, if you're having a complex partial seizure, what would that look like to someone? Well, it can look quite different from person to person, but a, a common one would be, for example, all of a sudden you're sitting there and maybe eating someone with, with someone across the table, and all of a sudden you notice them stop eating, and they're just holding their fork and staring right at you. They don't seem to be responding. They, stop, they, arrested, they had an arrest of, be, of behavior or stopped doing what they were doing. They all of a sudden may start doing something like 
um, lip smacking or chewing movements. Not that they're continuing to chew, but there's this abnormal motor activity or movements that can occur during a seizure. They may do some unusual movements with their hands, like they're picking at their napkin and kind of doing repetitive actions. And this may go on for a couple minutes, and then they come out of the seizure and they they resume eating or they start talking to you. So there's been this short circuit for about a couple minutes with some random behaviors or stopping what they were doing um, that definitely stands out and doesn't seem normal to the person who's watching them. Is it also possible that you would be walking around and look as if you're in a drunken stupor? Sure. Um, there are a lot of people who may just start doing random things. Uh, people may go through the house and start digging through drawers and taking stuff out of closets, or they may walk down the street in a different direction. And this is always a concern because the reason that's occurring is the brain is short-circuited. They're not doing normal processing. They're not they're not aware of where they are in space or what they're doing. So. Uh, the brain is 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 um, functioning at a different level that they're not they don't really have an understanding of what they're doing so they can look confused and they can even get combative sometimes if someone's trying to hold them down it's not that they're meaning to be combative it's just uh they're not processing like they normally would if uh they weren't having a seizure and you know what happened to me is that i had a tonic seizure and i say tonic because when i have what is known to everyone as grand mal seizure. I do not have the convulsion, mm-hmm. but I do fall to the floor. I am unconscious, and I do have that first part very rigid, you know. Um, and, and as my listeners know, that this happened to me where I hit my head so hard that I fractured my skull and ended up having brain surgery, but thank God I had this miraculous recovery. But I think it's important for everyone to know a few things. Number one, that there are so many different types. Uh, but number two, could you tell our listeners what advice do you normally give people as to what to do when someone has a seizure? Yeah, when someone's having a seizure, I mean, a couple things you want to do is first look at where they are in the environment. I mean, if they're in the kitchen and cooking something or using sharp utensils, you, of course, want to get them away from that because you don't want them to have an injury um, that could cause a bigger problem. Like you had a bad fall. I mean, are they near steps? Are they near a hard floor? And sometimes guiding them into a safe area could be quite helpful. Of course, restricting them from going out into a more harmful area, like For some reason, people may want to open the door and walk outside, and next thing you know, they may be in the middle of the street. So you want to be sure you kind of direct them into a safer environment. Sometimes people will have on um, like a necktie or some piece of jewelry, and if they go into a seizure and that gets caught on something, you know, you could clearly have a problem if that's restricting, you know, their airways. So you want to be sure that they're not uh, um, restricted by certain clothing or jewelry that could cause a problem. We typically want to get them um, either seated or laying down so um, that they won't fall. And secondly, um, a lot of times when a person goes into a, a secondary generalized or a bigger seizure, they don't necessarily have control of their secretions. And if they're just lying on the ground on their back, some of those secretions can go down into their lungs and cause a bad pneumonia. So if they're on the ground and they've had a, a bigger seizure, you want to turn them over to their, on their side so that, fluid drains out of the mouth and not back into the lungs. And how long approximately do you normally tell people to wait before they become panic-stricken and call 911? 
Yeah, this is always a difficult one because it would be amazing how many people actually don't get a good idea of how much time has passed when a seizure occurs because they're very stressed and upset and something that may only last 30 seconds in their mind seem to last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Most seizures are over with and stop spontaneously in about two and a half to three minutes. When you get past that into the five-minute range or more, that's when I would be concerned and look to get emergency assistance because, you know, our goal is to try to – most seizures will stop automatically on their own, but if they're not, that's the time to call in assistance where we may need help stopping a seizure. Seizures go on too long, they can cause problems. Yes, and you know what I would say is if you don't know the person and they're a perfect stranger, you're probably going to have to call 911 because you don't know if that's the first seizure they've ever had or if they even have epilepsy. You don't know if it's for something else or if they hit their head. Oh, you're you're quite correct. Yeah, if you don't know the person, I mean, sometimes a person can have their first seizure because they just had a stroke or they're they're in the midst of having a heart problem like a a heart attack. So you're quite correct there. If you don't know that person, um, you're going to want to get emergency personnel right away anyways. However, on the other hand, if you do know they have epilepsy, such as me, I have everyone in my office knows what to do. And, you know, many of us, we really don't want you to call 911 because here you are. You have employment. You're at a company. You've explained to everyone what's going to happen. And, you know, you really, some people, of course, do not even disclose they have this. But then all of a sudden, here comes all the ambulances and everything else to get the person. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. But if you do know someone with epilepsy and they've told you, ask them. Sure. Ask them what type of seizures they have uh, and what to do. But it's really good to know these procedures that Dr. Smith went over so that, you know, you do become comfortable with it. I know Dr. Smith, Greg Babe, the CEO of Bare Material Science, went once with me to Washington, D.C., to the Epilepsy Foundation, and they did uh, a presentation about epilepsy. And he went, not only did he tell all of his directors, he told his whole family. And his son just happened to be in gym class with a young man, and he had a seizure, and he knew exactly what to do. And you know what? Just as our new video from the Epilepsy Foundation said, he did not freak out. That's great. That is the worst thing you can do. Don't freak out. And with that, we're going to go to break for a minute. We'll be right back, so don't go away. We're talking to Dr. Brian Smith the Executive Director of the Comprehensive Epilepsy Program at Henry Ford Hospital, and more importantly, an advocate for all of us. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again? 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? 
Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. You know what? We are celebrating National Epilepsy Month. And if you go to www.epilepsyfoundation.org, you can learn anything you want to know about epilepsy. It is a great site. It is so well done. And you can think about making that contribution to the Epilepsy Foundation. I do have to mention that at the end of March, we are having the annual walk in Washington, D.C., and it is phenomenal. It is so great to be walking down Constitution with thousands of people with epilepsy. So go to epilepsyfoundation.org so you can register for that. Uh, Dr. Smith, as you can see, there are so many types of epilepsy. What I was asking him on the break the aura, which when he was talking about, you know, you can get a funny sensation or, you know, when you have epilepsy, you can get different things that happen to you. In my case, I get this really strange nausea in my stomach that he was talking about, and I know every time, I know every time, this is not like that I have the flu or upset stomach, this is it, and right after that, I have the full seizure. 
And, and what I was asking you, both of those are seizures, is that correct? Correct. The, the aura is, also, is that simple partial seizure, so it's just the beginning of that short circuit in a very small brain region. But since it hasn't spread enough to alter consciousness, which means for it to alter consciousness, it has to go from one side of the brain to the other, when it's still only on that one side, you can perceive it because you feel what it's what's happening to you. That's why you get that feeling, whether it's a upset stomach or a feeling of deja vu, feeling of fear, that's the aura, which is also a simple partial seizure. Amazing. Um, and I want to also tell all of you, medication today can do so much to control epilepsy. In my case, I've been taking Dilantin for years, but that's because that's what I started on from the beginning, and I'm one of those very lucky people where I've had no side effects from it. But there are so many new medications out today. You know, if you are having seizures, make sure you go to a specialist, someone like Dr. Smith that specializes in this so you know what's going on and can really get help. And and I have to ask you, Dr. Smith, uh, what made you pursue a career in specifically in this area? Well, it's a long story that I'll make brief. Um, I happen to be on uh, both sides of the fence. Uh, historically, uh, when I was a teenager, I was having these unusual events, which I had no clue what they were when they were first occurring, kind of a weird feeling, and um, I would just really couldn't process maybe for a minute or so and um, really didn't think anything of it. It didn't seem to catch anybody else's attention um, unless they were right in front of me. And uh, then finally, uh, one day in the high school parking lot, I had a major seizure. Um, did the full workup evaluation, got put on medication, and seemed to do fine for a number of years. Uh, the thing is, when I got into medical school, um, the issue is, well, what was I going to do? Was I going to be a primary care doctor? Was I going to be a surgeon? All these questions. And with that history and my background, um, not that uh, I felt I should be restricted, but you can imagine if you've spent seven years preparing to be a cardiac surgeon um, after medical school and then have one seizure during an operation, your career is pretty much could be over with. And that's a risk both to the patient and to me. So I had to decide to go into something that uh, didn't have that same type of surgical risk per se. And uh, as I was making that decision, little did I know, I just thought neurologists were one of those type of physicians who kind of sat there and thought deeply about issues for many minutes at a time. So it wasn't anything that you were pressured or had to do a um, quick thinking um, with the scalpel or anything else. And that's kind of how I ended up going down that road. Um, Neurology is an interesting uh, specialty, and, of course, as I got more exposed to uh, patients with epilepsy and some of the testing, I was very much interested in and continued to go down that road. Well, we are so glad you did. You know that? You are an example of a person that really gave back. That's why we are so proud to have you on the National Board of Directors of the Epilepsy Foundation. And before I talk in a few minutes about this absolutely tremendous thing that you did for all of us, I wanted to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people who are elderly, could you talk about that? What percentage of these people are starting to get di diagnosed with epilepsy? Yeah, the elderly, epilepsy in the elderly has been a major issue um, in the last uh, three to four years because for years we always knew there was a peak in early childhood and then a peak in the elderly, um, but that's become 
uh, even more obvious as the population gets older. Right now we're looking at, um, by age 60, probably 1% of that population having epilepsy. And then if you go out through age 75, we're talking uh, probably 3%, if not more. And the reason is, as we're getting older, we're seeing some of the um, problems that can create seizures, including stroke, which is probably the most common. And then you have dementia, you have brain tumors. So as our country is getting older and living longer, we're seeing epilepsy more commonly in the elderly population than any other population right now. That, so you're saying that the epilepsy is being caused by other things as people get older? In, in most cases, as, you know, for example, stroke is a very common problem, and when you're damaging tissue because you're not getting enough blood flow, it's it scars, it creates an environment that isn't electrically stable. I mean, if we look at the brain being this massive electrical network that has the appropriate balance of uh, excitation and inhibition would be the terms, but all of a sudden you have an injury now and that balance is no longer there. And all of a sudden you have tissue now that is abnormal and scarred and can create seizures. Wow. And once again, I think this is so important because there have been people who have been in assisted living or homes and, you know, people think that they are just staring off into space and they are, in fact, having a seizure. So it's really important to understand this and get educated so that even with your own parents or grandparents or whomever it is, you understand that epilepsy is impacting the elderly. And again, remember, www.epilepsyfoundation.org for more information about epilepsy at all levels. So, Dr. Smith, here's what I want to talk about. You know I am so proud of you, and it's so amazing. You're on this week when yesterday we celebrated Veterans Day. I wanted to talk about the civil rights work that you did, and everyone listening to the show know this, that he did this on behalf of our veterans, soldiers with disabilities. He testified before the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee about the need for epilepsy centers of excellence. And before we talk about the war in veterans, I want to start with what do you mean when you use the term post-traumatic epilepsy? Well, post-traumatic epilepsy, remember when we talk about epilepsy, one of the first things we ask is, well, what caused it? And we know frequently some in a number of patients what the cause is. It may have been, um, remember we just talked about things like stroke, like tumor, could have been related to an infection, meningitis or encephalitis, a complication at birth. Maybe there's a family history and it was passed along um, in the genes. But when we talk about post-traumatic epilepsy, these are people that were, were normal, had no problems with epilepsy or seizures, all of a sudden have a significant head trauma, and then after that head trauma, develop seizures and develop epilepsy, and that's how we get the term post-traumatic epilepsy. So this means that if you have an accident, automobile accident, um, if you're a baseball player and you would get hit in the head with a baseball, uh, any type of accident at all, you could then have epilepsy after that. Yeah, there's always that possibility. When we look at head injury, we know that some are much more severe than others. Of course, the risk is going to be less in mild head injury and much more prominent in severe head injury, but anywhere along that axis, there's a possibility. And is it possible that this could show up not right away but a few years later from the accident? 
Yes, uh, and this was one of the issues when we talked at the uh, Senate committee is that, sure, uh, the majority probably will show up in the first couple years after brain injury, but there's been numerous cases documented when they looked at, for example, Vietnam veterans over the years that patients who were first presenting with seizures 10 and 15 years after the initial injury. The brain is always changing in some form or another, and when you have that initial injury, it kind of sets a process. And seizures may not occur right away, but as the brain is changing over time, remember how that uh, electrical short circuit can occur. Uh, the electric box is no longer balanced. Yes, and so that can happen really to anyone, but of course a war would make this absolutely terrible and we're going to be talking about this right when we come back from break but i just want to say that remember with the iraq war you have more people coming back with disabilities percentage-wise than people dying percentage-wise and that is because of the technology uh... the military uh... preventative garments that you can wear and we're going to talk about this when we come back with Dr. Brian Smith as we're also this week celebrating Veterans Day. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com, where disability really does matter. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Brian Smith. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back as we're celebrating National Epilepsy Month. And you know today, I am live from 
Newark, Delaware, at one of my customer sites, Computer Sciences Corporation, who graciously today worked with me to teach high school students with disabilities about the world of work. And I just want to thank them and thank them and Leanne Thomas and Nick Wilkinson, all of you, for your kindness to me. Uh, Dr. Smith, we were talking before break about the war in Iraq and, and the fact that so many of our returning veterans are going to be people with disabilities, such a large percentage. I know that many of them are also going to have traumatic brain injury that can lead to epilepsy because of these blasts, you know, from the suicide bombers and all the, um, you know, mines that are set up and just it's so terrible when you see this on the news. I wondered, uh, can you talk about the fact when will people first know they even have epilepsy? Well, they may obviously not know right away. We've talked about seizures coming in much later in time, 10 to 15 years uh, after the initial incident. You have some people who present, and right at the time of the injury, they're having seizures already. And some, though, may only have seizures related to the, the actual injury, and they may not have anything after that. When we usually start talking about the term of post-traumatic epilepsy, it's usually when seizures are noted to occur after that first week of the, week or two after the initial injury. Because it's from previous studies, we know if seizures are starting to occur then, this is most likely a long-term issue and is the development of that um, epilepsy or epileptic process. So usually within one to two weeks would be the first time we would start calling it post-traumatic epilepsy, but it may present any time along that that uh, follow-up period, and we're talking 10 to 15 years out. Most show up in the first couple of years. problem is a lot of times it's missed. I mean, we talked about how seizures come in all sizes and shapes and can be very subtle. You can imagine if you have a, a young soldier who's in rehabilitation from a brain injury and starts getting these funny feelings in their stomach or unusual perceptions, that may not be even looked at as a possible seizure. They may think it's due to this, this, or this, and it doesn't even cross the minds of the patient or those taking care of them what might be occurring there. That's right, because for years I had those uh, auras, which were really seizures, even prior to this accident, and I would have this, and I would think at first that I had the intestinal flu, which would be followed by these what I called back then fainting spells. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know what's going on, and there are so many different types, you are absolutely right. Well, Dr. Smith, we're very proud of you. Here we are, as I said, this you know just the other day celebrating Veterans Day, um, on because you went and spoke on behalf of the soldiers and veterans and testified before the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee about the need for those epilepsy centers of excellence. Could you talk about that and explain to our listeners why you believe we need them? Well, the VA Epilepsy Centers of Excellence was a proposal put forth with all the returning soldiers with traumatic brain injury um, who are at high risk for developing post-traumatic epilepsy. The VA system really was not set up to handle the number of soldiers returning with that risk and with the development of post-traumatic epilepsy. And, I mean, they've made the ultimate sacrifice, and yet we're in a position where we're not ready to give them cutting-edge quality care in both detecting and treating their problem. So the six centers of excellence, this is something that there was experience in the VA system. There had been centers of excellence formulated for Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis in the past, 
And matter of fact, the Centers of Excellence for Epilepsy existed in the early 70s, um, but they lost. Uh, they they were lost in the budget, and they basically just uh, kind of went away. And now, with all these soldiers returning, there's no question. There's the need to really be at the cutting edge to provide the the type of care that these soldiers are going to need, and to really look into the whole process, uh, you know, of research and treatment um, that we don't have available for them that we really need to look much more closely into. Well, we have a question here for for you from a Marla in Tennessee who says, Dr. Smith, first of all, thank you for what you are doing to help our young men and women. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate that. My question for you is, is it possible if you have a son or daughter serving in Iraq, could they have an injury that would lead to them having epilepsy while they're still serving over in the war? Well, uh, sure, that's always a possibility. I mean, when we talk about the issue of any type of head trauma, and we're seeing these unusual improvised explosive devices and uh, the effect that that shockwave has to the system, uh, you know, anybody who has had some type of head trauma there um, may be at risk. Of course, if a son or a daughter is involved in something and then starts developing these atypical little events that, there's really no explanation for. There really should be discussion, is this a possibility? Well, now, if that would happen, I assume, of course, that they have uh, medical personnel over there that would be able to help the person if they know what, what was going on. Right. Correct. Right. Okay, well, these centers of excellence that you're talking about, what would they be like? What do you envision them being like? Well, they're going to be specialty centers that have um, some type of uh, affiliation with uh, major university or other uh, medical center that really can provide, you know, this cutting-edge care. And, and the hope is that they could also coordinate uh, specific trials or research looking at post-traumatic epilepsy. Unfortunately, it's such a difficult problem to really study. I mean, if you look at the studies that have been attempted just in the civilian population here in the United States, it's hard to recruit patients because, one, I mean, you're not looking for people who have had head trauma, and to try to get them into a specific study where you can follow a number of parameters is quite difficult. With all the returning soldiers and the number who have had traumatic brain injury, we're really in a strategic position to look very closely at how they're doing clinically and some of the interventions that we can provide to learn more information about post-traumatic epilepsy and to treat them better. And you know what? I really want you, if you're listening to the show, to get excited about this because, as I always say, how many people do you know that don't know you at all but would go put their life on the line for you? Right. How many? That's what these young men and women are doing every day, and we owe it to them that when they come back, that they are properly treated. So with that, Dr. Smith, what could our listeners listening to the show do to help you with this? Well, the first thing that we all should be looking to do is contact our representatives or senators in Congress about this and make it clear that you support this idea because, uh, you know, we owe this to our soldiers who are returning. They need the best quality care. Uh, they need to be uh, have the resources available to them. Part of this establish, establishing the six centers was to try to set up a network where even if 
their home is some in a rural community that's um, miles away from the nearest specialty center, that there's the ability to do teleconferencing and send information back and forth very easily. So they're not, um, they don't come on the short end of the stick just because of where they've lived or where they live after they've returned from Iraq. So I would suggest the first thing is contact your representative, your senator and Congress. Be sure they understand what your concerns are. Everybody needs to understand the concept of post-traumatic epilepsy. Uh, there's, of course, stigma about epilepsy in the past. These were all our normal sons and daughters who have gone there, and they had no choice. They were they sustained head trauma that uh, was not something that they wanted or uh, we were hoping that wasn't going to occur. And now we've got the ramifications from that that they need the most assistance we can give them with. So if you're listening to the show... I want you to take time. I mean it. I'm challenging you. You contact your local representative. You call and you send a letter or an email and you say, I want you to support these comprehensive epilepsy centers of excellence for our returning veterans. You contact them. And if you want all the details, you go to www.epilepsy foundation.org that's epilepsy epilepsyfoundation.org and if you put Dr. Brian Smith's name in you can read about this and get all the information listen as I said how many people do you know who put their life on the line for you when they don't even know you we can't let them come back after all of this and not do anything to help and Dr. Smith I must tell you uh, on behalf of all of those soldiers, we are so thankful that you have done this. Now, what is the next step? Well, the next step is, of course, this is going on in the committees, um, both at the Senate and the House, and we're hoping that uh, the bills that are presently out there will get um, approved, and then there will be the decision on the centers of excellence, the funding for them, and then we can move straight ahead with getting these soldiers back and taking care of them, getting some of the research done to provide them the best options. Um, there are still a lot of unanswered questions out there, and we need to try to do as much as we can to answer those questions and give them the best quality of life, not only now, but 10 years from now. And your opinion, did you, do you feel that it's moving forward? Well, yeah, my opinion from the, at least that Senate committee meeting that I was at you know, providing testimony, I felt that there was significant support around the table in that committee, um, and I think there is significant support throughout both the, both the House and the Senate. Um, as you know, the processes in Washington, D.C. are not always uh, straightforward and quick, but I think with all the appropriate support with you contacting your senator or your representative, uh, things will move along in this direction. And uh, at these comprehensive centers, when people first find out that, you know, they are having an issue, um, if they are unemployed or whatever, I'm assuming all the medication and everything would be paid for because they're a veteran. Is that correct? Uh, I assume you're correct there, too. Um, and I'm not, being not in the Veterans Association myself, I can't answer that, uh, but I would assume so. All right, so once again, Epilepsy Centers of Excellence. You want your representative to support having those in different parts of the United States to help our returning young men and women, again, after having traumatic brain injury, 
due to some type of blast, very likely that person is going to at some point have epilepsy. And then what? Are we going to leave them? Are we not going to help them? Are we going to say too bad? You know we're not. One thing, we've got a powerful voice if everyone speaks up. And right now we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with Dr. Brian Smith, who you can see is not only the executive director of Comprehensive Epilepsy Program at Henry Ford Hospital, but a true champion for all of us. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com, where disability matters as we celebrate National Epilepsy Month. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Whether you are already applying the law of attraction to your life or you have no idea what this all means, this show will be branded as the best live resource available for learning about law of attraction. Michael Lozier's Law of Attraction talk show broadcasts live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Now, the only thing left to decide, what do you want? Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show as we are celebrating National Epilepsy Month with our wonderful guest, Dr. Brian Smith. I think we have a caller on the line. Kathy, are you on the line? I am, yes. Hello, Joyce. Hey, it's Kathy, Kathy from Pittsburgh. How are you? Oh, I'm just fine, Kathy. How are you doing? Great, great. 
Thank you so much for having Dr. Smith on today. Thank you, Dr. Smith, first, for being such a champion for the VA Epilepsy Centers of Excellence Act. Um, that's tremendous that you're such a vocal and visible presence. We really need that in the push to get this legislation passed. So thank you very oh, much. Thank you. Um, I did have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the current exciting research developments in epilepsy treatments that are on the horizon? Well, there are a number of medications that are um, finishing up some trials which should be available over the next year or two. Um, and I know we've had a number of medications that came out um, at the beginning of 2000, and there was one about a year ago, but we should have two or three more coming down the road um, in the near future. Um, another one, uh, you know, if we talk about epilepsy and uh, the difficult cases, um, a number of them are going for epilepsy surgery, which I'm sure you're aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, other options has been electrical stimulation of the brain. Um, mm-hmm. One of these was the what's called the vagus nerve stimulator, which has been out since 1997. Um, a newer version of this is actually direct stimulation of the brain, and these are research studies going on right now where there's actually devices that are implanted that can record the electrical activity of the brain, and then when it starts to see a seizure occurring, there are electrodes that are permanently permanently placed in the brain that can actually stimulate the brain to stop the seizure. Now, remember, though, these are still in research trials right now. They're not FDA-approved, but that's really the direction that a couple major studies have gone in looking at direct chronic brain stimulation uh, to stop seizures. And, again, this is in the third of the population who are, are not easily controlled with medications and who may not be a candidate for surgery where you just remove the area of the brain that's causing seizures. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, that sounds like an amazing treatment. Do you have a sense as to the time frame when it might be more readily available and, and FDA approved? Well, yeah, that's still, um, I'm thinking we're talking another year or so. Um, the, again, there's two major trials that are going on, and they're, they've been done a little differently, and one is completed and one is still in the process. So um, I would tell you you're probably looking at um, uh, about a year before we hear um, of if that's going to be approved by the FDA, at least in, in one, one of those trials. It's probably going to be longer with the other type. Okay. Great. Well, thank you again, Joyce, and and thank you, Dr. Smith, again for all of your fantastic work on behalf of folks affected by epilepsy. Oh, you're quite welcome. And Kathy, thank Mm -hmm. you for calling in. Kathy is with the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central Pennsylvania, which I am very proud to be on the board of, and I just want to say that across Pennsylvania, working very hard on all this legislation. So, Kathy, thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Dr. Smith, when we were talking earlier, we talked just for a moment about the stigma attached to epilepsy, which is, you, as you well know, there is a strong stigma still attached today. In your opinion, why, why do you think that is? Well, the big issue that's always been there, I think, is just the lack of understanding of what seizures are and what that means. You know, there, there's all the, the false beliefs in the past uh, from hundreds of years ago. Unfortunately, many of those were passed on for a number of years. And people had the view that, well, that's something that could never happen to me. Uh, but remember, a lot of people who are developing epilepsy are completely normal people who've had a phenomena that is not unexpected um, as, 
either in younger years or older years, whether it be a stroke, a tumor, or head trauma. And so there's still these ideas that a lot of people believe that, wow, seizures only occur in someone who's had significant neurologic injury or were born with multiple problems and handicaps, and that's not the case. There's a huge spectrum, and a large proportion of people who develop epilepsy are very normal, and you see them every day, and you don't even know that they have it. Oh, that is so true. That's why when I go to a company and they say to me, oh, Joyce, we've never hired people with disabilities before, I say, oh, yes, you have. (laughs) Yeah, you have. And guess what? They're working here right now, and they either have epilepsy or bipolar disorder or depression uh, or diabetes or cancer or MS, and in many cases not visible. They're just not telling you. And I know I've, I've spoken places where people have worked there 20 or 25 years but never felt comfortable before saying, oh, by the way, I have epilepsy, and, you know, people are so surprised when they disclose that they have it. But remember, you're hearing two people on the show today, both successful in different areas, and we both have epilepsy, and it has not stopped either one of us. And speaking of that, Dr. Smith, I have asked everyone on the show for the past four years uh, these last two questions. You know, in your case, you have accomplished so much in your life. I don't know how you'll answer this, but what is your proudest accomplishment? Well, I, I would have to say, um, you know, when I, I finished my training and uh, went back to the Detroit area, just the the ability to set up a program where now you are offering an option to patients that they weren't aware of. It's amazing when you have a patient who comes in the clinic and you start talking to them and you educate them about epilepsy and what it is and what are the options so they now understand and they say, wow, no one's ever talked to me like this about my disorder. And then you give them the options and you see how well a number of them can do when they've been given those options. And really, I mean, that's something that a lot of people are doing on a daily basis, but I would have to say that's probably something I'm most proud of is the fact that I've had the ability to provide that option to patients to educate so they can understand and they can look at the options and and move on with life. Well, you you know, that doesn't surprise me that that is what you would say because you are just such a great man. And if you are living in the Detroit area, and you are a person with epilepsy or your child has epilepsy or you're wondering about, you know, epilepsy, um, he is at, Dr. Smith is at Henry Ford Hospital. And how are people normally referred through to you? Oh, typically uh, neurologists refer um, to our center, um, to the epilepsy clinics, but um, anybody who has an interest, they give a call to Henry Ford and um, they'll pass you along to our department and we'll, Make arrangements. Um, and also through the affiliate in that area, I'm sure many people are referred through that also, but I am, sure. I am telling you, you know where he is now if you have any questions. And you have a really good friend that works there also, correct? Correct. Yes, Dr. Greg Barkley, I just want to say a special hello to him because he was one of the first people I ever met when I joined the board of directors, and he is such a such a good person. And I know someone that you have worked very closely with. Correct, yes, and he's done a great job in the same arena. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. So, Dr. Smith, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I would say just don't view any illness such as epilepsy as a limitation or restriction. You know, you really look 
need to look at it more. It's a higher hurdle um, that you have to jump over or kind of a last-minute change in the offensive game plan. Um, you just have to look at something like epilepsy as something you can maneuver around. It's not a setback. It's just a kind of a change in the game plan and do what you can to jump over that hurdle and move ahead. Oh, yes, that's a great message, and it is. It is just a change in the game plan. First of all, Dr. Smith, on behalf of all people also with epilepsy, thank you for what you are doing, and thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to join us today. But most importantly, thank you for being such a great advocate. Thank you very much, Joyce, for really making me a part of this. I appreciate it very much. And you know what we're going to do. We end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and you know today it just has to be Tony Quello. And this is from his written testimony that we had at the House Judiciary Oversight Subcommittee hearing on the Americans with Disabilities Act, September 13, 2006. He said, I believe that if you want to change people's perceptions particularly of hidden and stigmatized disabilities like epilepsy, you have to be outspoken about it. And isn't that exactly what Dr. Smith did for all of us? Thank you again, Dr. Smith, for being with us. Thank you, Joyce. And to all of you, remember, when you get the podium, speak up. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice on voiceamerica.com celebrating National Epilepsy Month. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. <laughs>